Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker and our not-in-studio guests, Julie and Heather. How are we doing today? Great. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much. Heather, you want to roll us into this? Yeah, well, our guests are co-authors of the book Now Say This and also co-authors of the book The Happy Sleeper. So we're going to talk about um, some from each book, but right um, today we're going to dive into some of the interesting topics they have in Now Say This. Um, And if you didn't catch last week's episode, Now Say This is really a a whole philosophy. It fits very much um, in with it's okay not to share philosophy about how to um, empathize with kids and um, respect them and also set firm limits that, that really work as you're working with the young kids. So I thought um, we're thrilled to have you, and I thought we might look at some common things like big, big feelings and um, tantrums because everybody has had this situation. Um, so if we start with a child really wanting you know, the candy and the shelf in the grocery store and, and starting to have a meltdown. Can you walk us through some of the, um, the words, the right words to say in every difficult moment that, that you would um, uh, pull out when this situation happens? So if you're walking through the store and the child wants the candy and um, if assuming that you've already said before the trip, it's really helpful before a trip like that where you have a feeling that something like this will come up to do a prep step by letting your child know, you know, and it's nice to say it in a positive way. You know, when we go into the store now, we're only going to buy the food that we need for our dinners and our lunches. And that way you've already told them that there's a limit that you're going to hold. Um, now they see the candy, and of course, the candy attracts them. And of course, let's say your your little son wants some candy. You know, you would say, you would start by letting him know you understand the feeling that he's having. It's very understandable. You know, you really want that candy right now. Mommy understands. That would be the A step. You're attuning to him. You're starting by letting him know that you understand how he feels. And there's also something to the tone in your voice that normalizes his feeling. You're not shaming him or making him feel bad. You're saying it's totally understandable that you really want that candy. The next step is the limit setting step. Um, And again, you would just sort of reiterate, remember mommy said that on this trip to the store, we're only buying the food we need for dinner and lunches. Um, And then the third step would be depending on the child's age, you know, stores are fun places to sort of say, you know, can you hold the list and help me figure out what we need? Or if it's just a a very young child, you can sort of put them in charge of some of the things in the basket. Sometimes you can find something for them to hold that 
you know, isn't a candy bar, but that might be an ingredient that you need. But there are lots of fun things. They can they can be your helper in a store if they'd like to be. You can also have a you know a, a book a book or a toy in your bag um, as something to use as part of the problem solving step if you think they'd prefer that. I, I'm continually shocked. I was at my ballet class not that long ago, and there was a child. Um, just being, you know, put to the side to watch the class. Her mom was taking the class and the, and I think she was only about two years old. And the only thing this mom had to give her was her phone. And I just couldn't believe that she couldn't at least have brought a few toys or um, something for the child to play with, you know? Mm-hmm. And what about when things get physical and the child is, you know, on the floor and, um, emotionally overwhelmed and, and expressing all that physically, which we've all seen. It can be loud and a little bit um, flailing around. Um, one of the things you suggest is hugging and things like that, and, and I think um, that's certainly what I needed. I had uh, tremendous tantrums as a child. I remember them vividly. And I, my mother asked me when I was calm and feeling fine, she'd say, when you get like that, what would help you? And I said, hold me you know, put me in your lap and hug me. And she said, okay. So next time it happened, she did. And it, it really helped um, shorten the duration of, of all the loud feelings. So sometimes um, I think parents are worried. I mean, when I have a child who's flailing, I don't want to get near them because it's a little scary. <laughs> but also sometimes people feel like, well, we shouldn't be rewarding that behavior. What do you have to say about physical contact when a child has lost it? Well, I think I, we, we always ask people to completely sort of um, move away from that idea of rewarding. There's a real old school, this is sort of to your renegades, you know, philosophy of like, there's a real traditional old school idea of the way that you get what you want out of your kids is to ignore or, you know, the things that you don't want and, and reward the things that you do want with praise or with whatever. It's like a lot of behavioral shaping, um, very old school, outdated ways of thinking about kids. So we really, I mean, we just, we like to start by relieving parents of that whole paradigm completely because it just doesn't make any sense. We're not talking about, you know, rats and pigeons and animals that were, you know, we're talking about human beings who are these complex social creatures. So, um, uh, so the, I mean, when your child is overwhelmed in and having an emotional flood, it sort of depends on the context. But if it was, if we were taking the the grocery store example, you might say, I'm going to gently lift you up because we, you know, it's, um, I, I want to take you to a place that's quiet so we can talk about this and, you know, scoop them up and take them outside. Um, or if you're at home, you might want to, I think it, it's good, like you said, to figure out what helps your child because some some people don't want to be touched when they're upset. And some people, like you said, feel regulated by having a hug. So I think that whatever helps when, when your child is having a tantrum, it means that they're emotionally flooded and um, helping them regulate is your job. It's not, you know, it's not a rewarding or punishing thing. It's more like, what is this little human being that I love trying to tell me right now and how can I help them? Um, So I think that for some kids, it's, it is hugging. And for other ones, you know, one of my kids, for example, doesn't like to be touched, but it would, I'm, I'm more successful if I can put a little notepad with a, a pen next to them and say, you know, 
and just put it there silently and walk away because, you know, he doesn't really want to be hugged, but he might write something out about something that he's feeling. So it depends on the kid. Yeah, and I think that's important because even within a family, of course, everyone knows that their kids can be quite different in temperament, and even day-to-day different things may work. So it's um, good to recognize that, that what one child might need is actually the opposite of what another child might need. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to uh, have a few tools in our pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's to, also really nice to just be careful not to give them the message that your goal is to, to end the tantrum more quickly because in that message is, you know, I can't tolerate your big feelings. There's a balance there, you know, where you really want them to feel like if they're in a safe place and they're not hurting anyone or breaking anything, then they can get their feelings out. And sometimes that's what some children need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to jump from tantrums to screens. Your book has a lot of topics, which I think, um, you know, the families need to have a whole look at the child, not just one topic. So that's, that's good that you have lots of different topics in your book. Um, since screens are ever present in in family life, um, what are some of the most important things that, that you feel both parents and and kids, uh, but maybe start with the parents, need to be aware of when it comes to screens? I think screens are are to some extent um, individual choices per family. I think every family you know, I would recommend that they educate themselves about the warnings and the hazards of screen time. Um, But I think every family also has to find their comfort level. You know, some parents will tell us, you know, that somebody in that family really loves watching sports and the baby's often in the room or, um, you know, people use their phones for work and, I, I think every family has to has to find their comfort level, but I do think there's a trend toward not even feeling capable of setting limits for yourself as a parent. And I think it's it's within our capability to set limits around our children and put our phones aside and you know let them know you know I'm going to go on the on the computer or go on my phone for 20 minutes to return emails and then have our child see us regulating that way you know, seeing us put it away and, and let them know when we're going to take it up and maybe setting certain rings for, for certain important people so that if it's not that ring, you don't pick it up or you don't turn your head toward it if you're in the middle of a conversation with them. Right. Yeah, the, the modeling that goes on between how parents have their heads down in their phones, um, not realizing maybe that the kids are watching and saying, oh, this is how you interact. This is how life should be. I'm exactly. watching and learning. Yeah. Um, so but this what is how you of, drive. <laughs> this is how you drive. Yeah, that's really important. Right? <laughs> um, what are some of the, um, the limits that you find are, are pretty universally healthy for a family when it comes to screens? Um, I think, I mean, limits for parents, like Julie's saying, are, are wonderful. Like I have, for example, with myself, I know that I try to take care of work before I pick my kids up from school and then I leave my phone in my bag and I leave my bag in the car and I go and pick them up and I don't even have the thought in my mind of, I wonder if somebody's just texted me or, 
you know, for me, it helps to just completely remove that from the equation um, and to be able to chat with them and, you know, um, just really be with them and do whatever, chat with them about whatever we're going to talk about all the way home. And then, um, and so I think having your own ways of setting your own limits with yourself is really important. And um, like Julie's saying there, I mean, it really depends on the family, but I think something that works really well is to not have screens during the week, for example, um, and just to have certain and, and to set limits on the type of media that you're watching. So for example, in our family, we have a list of shows that my daughter can watch. And when, because Netflix, for example, or the, I mean like YouTube, like it's just, there's just an endless number of things that pop up and you, if you don't have a way of saying, wait, hold on, uh, let me just check. Is that on our list? Oh no, it's not. Okay. So, you know, there's 10 shows on our list and we have to just double check. And if we want to add one to that list, we have to all, you know, check it out together. And maybe you have to go on common sense and, you know, research it a little bit before you add it to your list. But I think, um, limiting the shows, screening them yourself and feeling confident about saying no to shows that you don't like, for example, and even, even shows that other families watch because they're totally quote unquote age appropriate, but you don't like the way the characters talk to each other. (laughs) You don't like that. They're kind of for 90% of the show, they're mean to each other. And, you know, you just, the tone doesn't work for you. Or I say to my kids, you know, there's no information in that show. So, you know, that's not a show that we watch. There's no information in that show. Um, so setting limits on the type of media and how often. And I mean, it's, it's difficult, but um, coming up with family agreements around screens, I think is, is super important. Right. And as we are um, raising our kids, I think it's important for us to keep our eyes on the screen because at some point they won't be in our family home and they will be making these decisions on their own. Are we giving them a framework to make decisions as they encounter different Mm -hmm. media and screens in their future life? And is there some um, process that we can help them think through? Is this worthwhile? Is this enough time? Did I get outside today? What Mm -hmm. kinds of things can they learn to balance um, including sleep habits, which we'll get into soon, um, so that they can, it's not, it's, it becomes a way of life for them not yeah. just to accept whatever comes at them, but to make some conscious decisions. So hopefully when they turn that magical age of 18 and have all their, their um, neurons firing in exactly the right directions, that they'll make <laughs> some good choices. <laughs> or not, or learn from their mistakes, but that they have something to lean on and they know that it's not all just coming at them in a big flood and that they feel they have no control. Because I think that's something kids really like is to have a sense of control and stability in life. And sometimes the screens can seem overwhelming, even as they attract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard you say something in an interview about you know helping the child learn to be the one in charge of turning the screen off at the appointed time. And I I truly believe that that's a smart idea because like you said, they're going to be the ones to have to regulate. And I think, you know, you can help them become more aware of how hard it is to turn it off, but then 10 minutes later, how it feels to be engrossed in something non-screen related, you know, how, how life does they do survive and they do thrive even when they're not on their screens and they can start to 
become aware of that. It's like eating a piece of chocolate cake. You know, you enjoy it while you're eating it. And then 10 minutes later, you're, you're still okay, even though you stopped eating it, you know? Yes, hopefully we're not eating the chocolate cake all day long. <laughs> all day long. <laughs> well, it sounds like we got some chocolate lovers on the program. Thank you both for being here. And we're going to come back um, next week with um, talk about our favorite topic, sleep. So thanks so much this, for having us. Yeah, thank th- you, this, uh, I, Julie and he- Heather. I I gotta I gotta ask you when my my now adult daughter was was a little. Um, I don't think she slept for, I don't know, the first six eight years of her life. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm interested in learning what I should have done. Uh, so we'll be back very soon, in about seven days. With that episode, this has been a Renegade Rules. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Boom. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.